0: this week on Trek, Mary kill since Romulans data next.
1: Have you ever been a stranger to yourself? Many, many times. Nearly two decades ago, commander data sacrificed his life for me
2: these past few years i really tried to belong here but it never truly felt like home
1: do you know who i am everything inside of me says that i'm safe with you admiral
2: i have encountered a woman she came to me for help if she is who i think she is (laughs) Is in serious danger. Sometimes I worry that you have forgotten who you are. We do not.
0: You can't do it alone. You need help, you need protection, you need a crew. Be the captain they remember.
2: Engage.
1: Trek, Mary,
0: Kill. Hi, I'm Brian. I'm Kristen. And I'm Hector. Welcome to Trek, Mary, Kill, a podcast where we basically go out on a date with an episode of Star Trek. And after it's over, we decide if we go out with it again, marry it, or kill it on the spot. Uh, this week, <laughs> our voyage through Star Trek's live action pilot episodes concludes finally. With Paramount Plus's Star Trek Picard, starring Sir Patrick Stewart. And uh, joining us to discuss this is Hector Navarro. Hector, hello. Hi. He's the co-host of YouTube's Heroes Reforged. Uh, they're a reaction show, a reaction channel. Uh, they watch Star Wars and the Marvel shows. They're watching Willow right now. And starting next year, I'm told, we're going to start watching some Star Trek. So go and subscribe. Uh, Google describes you as a TV personality, but... Uh, Hector I know you to be a funny charming extremely geeky guy so much more than that so thank you so much for
1: being here I am so happy to be here Brian thank you for inviting me Brian and I go way back we met in an improv class improv um, which is so so exciting but I'm so happy to be here I love the show it's lovely to meet you Kristen as well so thank you guys for having me likewise
0: yeah (laughs) Yes, and and I think that that (laughs) improv stop. It was funny because Hector was. He was we were all learning, but it's just funny to watch who took who caught into it so well and so quickly that I was just like, oh, wow, this is amazing. And that was basically when I was like, this is my off ramp to go do other things. So
1: (laughs) very exciting. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Brian took an improv class and was like, I'm a writer. Goodbye. (laughs) See ya. I
2: I think like that actually happens pretty often with people who are like, oh, am I an actor? And then they're like, I actually just like writing the the stuff that we
1: do. No, I'm teasing. I'm teasing in all seriousness. Brian was always very, very funny. I was genuinely always excited whenever I got to do scenes with him. He's one of those people who, if anybody has ever taken an improv class, you know. it's You don't mean to segment or form a clique or anything like that. But like you know when you kind of sync up with a person's sense of humor. You know what I mean? And so maybe Brian and I's sense of humor was in the fact that we were kind of geeky or whatever. But um, it was always great playing with him. And he was super, super funny. So...
0: Yeah, and yeah. it helps that all, everyone in our class was super hot, too. So it was just all of us, <laughs> oh. <was> really
2: hot. <laughs> awesome. Wait, Brian, were you with me when we were somewhere and, like, I can't remember who was with us, maybe my friend Ryan, and I was like, I think we're the best looking people in here, and I... And everyone else was just like horrible looking. Maybe that was just me and Ryan. That was somebody else, maybe.
0: I do I thought you were gonna bring up the story when you
1: and I went to dinner once.
0: Uh, hang, just on, oh, yeah. hang on, hang on, hang <laughs> on.
1: That by the way, Kristen, that sounded like it was a, a, a mean setup for a joke. Was that purposeful? Because you were at first were like, Brian, were you with me? And then you went, No, you know what? You weren't there. It was specifically me and other people that were good looking, and we were talking yeah. about how we were good looking, but you were not there. That's yeah, you that were was hilarious. That's- yeah. That was great. And Brian walked. Yeah right no, into it he just it went turns right out past you weren't there never mind <laughs> do, we, do
0: we all <laughs> want to else should we all take that again no i'm just kidding uh,
2: so. Uh, yeah so i we brian and i went to dinner once in west hollywood and i said just so you know most men i ever go out to dinner with get hit on by men and <laughs> i went to the restroom and came back and you're like the was it the, the waiter gave you his phone number
0: <laughs> it was a it was a sadder ruse than that he said someone left this number for you at the front as they were leaving and asked me to give it to you <laughs> nice wow that well brian's
1: it. a hunk he's a hunk yeah. that, no, that
2: makes sense um i but should I... also mention i think it was like we were one of like maybe three other people in the whole restaurant so it was slim pickings <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
0: And so it was. It was the same thing. We were the hottest people. You've had this story twice, is what I'm hearing,
1: yes. Kristen. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: Okay. So Hector, how did you come to Star Trek? Like, when did you
1: start watching it? Um, I there's a there. Everybody's got a different thing. For me, it's not the popular answer because I know you guys grew up on Next Generation, and I came into Star Trek because I loved the TV show Lost, and. Uh-huh. And before that, I remember going to the theater in 2006 with my dad. I often go to the movies once a week or whenever I can with my dad still to go see a movie. And we went to go see Mission Impossible 3. And I thought it was going to be bad. Because I didn't like Mission Impossible 2. I wasn't a big Mission Impossible guy, but I was like, let me, I'll go with my dad. This is a dad movie. Let's go see it. And I remember we left and I was like really impressed with that movie, way more than I thought it was going to be. I loved Philip Seymour Hoffman in the movie. I thought that the action was slick and really well done. I really enjoyed it. Then I'm like, oh, who was the director of this? It's this guy named JJ Abrams. He's a TV guy, he came from TV World. So it was after 2006 that I started to, learn about jj abrams and what who he was and knew and found out that he did the pilot for lost so then i checked it out and i think i kind of got into it around two thousand seven, eight, nine, 8 9 somewhere in there i was working at a blockbuster video at the time this was in in college r.i.p i I was was in college r.i.p blockbuster video and they used to have the tv shows for rent One disc at a time, depending on what the, you know, for those shows that had like the season box sets, you know? Yeah. And when, when you work at Blockbuster, one of the perks, uh, on top of being horribly underpaid and whatever is like, oh, you can rent five things a week. So my coworker for free for for absolutely for no, I paid and you know, what a, what a deal. (laughs)
2: Like a discount.
1: (laughs) But knowing that I really liked Mission Impossible, which came out a few years prior Mm -hmm. And I'm working here, and I knew that he had done the show Lost. My other coworker was a massive Lost fan and was watching it current. And he goes, "You got to rent the first season and just watch it." So I did, and I'm st- I'm I'm here to tell you, I'm still impressed with the pilot episode of that series. I think it's one of the strongest pilots of a show I've seen. And I'm not a huge TV viewer, but I I still I watch the pilot. I watch like the like the commentary track on it with like Lindelof and Carlton Cuse and them talking about what JJ Abrams was doing and, and knew that JJ didn't have anything to do with that show beyond the pilot, but I still really enjoyed the show overall and learned that like he left the show to go do mission impossible. And I was kind of like impressed. Like I was like, that is crazy to have this incredible opportunity from like ABC television to, to develop this show and then Tom Cruise comes and recruits you because he's like, I like Alias. Come and direct the next Mission Impossible. And now to this day, I mean, I'm a big fan of the Mission Impossible movies, I guess. I like- Oh, me too. I'm like the right? biggest fan. Yeah. Man. yeah. yeah. I, I think three still might be my favorite, honestly, just because of Philip Seymour Hoffman. But I love the Brad Bird one. I think the Christopher McQuarrie ones, the new ones are so, so good. I saw Fallout
2: I... three times in the theater. It's once awesome. It's so-
1: good. Freaking good! And again, I was a huge fan of of All of Lost, and I really liked um, I liked Lindelof. You know, I was hanging in there as a big Lindelof fan. And then um, I didn't see what the what was the what what was his follow up after leftovers, Lost. leftovers? Leftovers. I didn't see that, but people really enjoyed it. But then I loved HBO Watchmen the past couple of years. That yeah, blew great. my mind. I thought it was great. So anyway, as I'm learning about all of this, but cut back to 2009. I'm into Lost. I like J.J. Abrams' first film, Mission Impossible 3. I learned he's directing Star Trek, and they're going to sort of reboot it. And I had always known about Star Trek, but never found my way in. And so in preparation for his Star Trek, which was coming out in 2009, I went and instead of doing the TV shows, I just watched all the movies in order. And then I fell in love with it in Star Trek II, Wrath of Khan, and learned about what The character was Ricardo Montalban's Khan. He's my favorite villain to this day. I fell in love with Spock and Kirk and McCoy and everybody and really enjoyed the movies. Even when I got to Next Gen, without the Next Generation show behind me, I still latched on to like, I really love Data. I thought First Contact was great. So then after the J.J. Abrams Star Trek, which then became like my new favorite thing, and I really loved that iteration of Star Trek, which is going to tie into us talking about Picard. But then I went and started watching all of the shows and I watched, I've seen all of the original series, next gen deep space nine. I'm like two seasons away from being done with Voyager and I've only started with enterprise. But then in 2017, I watched discovery and have watched every new star Trek thing since 2017. So all of the live action shows, animated shows, shorts, everything they've been doing. So my sort of general thoughts on it are that I am a, I'm definitely the Kirk and Spock guy. That's my era. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't have the sort of love for next gen and deep space nine and Voyager that people of our age who like grew up watching those do. Um, But some of my favorite star Trek episodes and moments obviously are from those series and everything. And like I said, my top characters are like data Um, I love Worf, um, Janeway and pretty much the original series crew. Um, so that's kind of my background to it. And I feel as though what it does is it gives me, because I kind of all came to it when it was trying to be new again in 2009, I think I have an appreciation for the new, as well as the classic stuff. I can understand the context, you know, for when these shows were coming out. And I learned, like you guys were discussing with like, you know, encounter at Farpoint, all of the behind the scenes drama and all that really interesting stuff that happened for like, (laughs) you know, for each of those shows to get made. And I appreciate all of that kind of thing. So, yeah. And then Star Trek ended up becoming one of my, I call it like a geek pillar. Like I've loved Marvel since I was five years old. And so, and DC Comics as well. But um, Star Trek and Star Wars kind of came later, but then those four have become my, my geek pillars.
0: Fantastic. You're also like the like the perfect person for Paramount. Like they would love to meet you. And uh, figure out how to clone <laughs> your experience yeah. as much as possible.
1: <laughs> there are dozens of us, Brian. There are yeah, dozens. Who love the Kelvin timeline? There are dozens. No, but But like it, they Paramount got you. The Gateway was Mission Mission Impossible. I mean,
2: that's true. And then they they got you.
1: They object. I guess that's technically true, which also has a weird connective history to the Star Trek franchise, right? It's all, they've all kind of been under the same thing. Well, and Leonard Nimoy was in Mission exactly. Impossible
0: after Star Trek. Exactly. Desi Liu produced both. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Damon Lindelof though, big, huge Star Trek fan. I think original series Next Generation was his thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and in his hand fingerprints over the 09 movie are pretty clear as well. So,
1: mm-hmm.
0: so you got a lot of connection there. If you haven't seen the Alias pilot, oh,
1: I you should. should
0: definitely watch the pilot.
1: Mm-hmm. I always
0: tell people it's, it's the best pilot of this century. Even though I think it was '99, but it, it it was the best done, best produced, best written pilot for a very long time. So one of the reasons the the reason I asked you on was also I like talking to you. That's that's part of it. The uh-huh. other part was we like to have connections it's not going to happen with every episode but sort of how close have you come to touching the creator being involved in star trek and you got to sit down right across from patrick stewart and interview him as part of the press tour for the release of this show for star trek picard Mm -hmm. and um and you just went through it where it was like yeah i didn't really have the connection so i'm sure you were aware of the significance of it but yeah it wasn't like you were nine years old growing up with of a role model.
1: But but But, let me say this too. Let me say this. X-Men. Let me say this. If my thing was Marvel, if my thing was Marvel, I can't think of, I guess the other honest example would be Sir Ian McKellen, where he's in two major, you know, geek property roles that are like iconic. And this was Patrick Stewart. And it's so funny because when he got cast to play Charles Xavier in the first X-Men movie, it was it felt like it was total fan casting because he was Jean-Luc Picard and he had uh-huh. so much grace and he was this middle-aged or elderly bald actor. And it's fan casting, but it worked beautifully. And I think he 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 brought so much to that role that I think people now think of that character as Patrick Stewart and it's div- difficult to divorce it because in the comic books, Charles Xavier is not even supposed to be British. But then, you know, when well, yeah, he, he lives in that, New York. Exactly. He was just <laughs> born and raised in like Westchester, New York. Like he's <laughs> yeah. just like, a, he lives know, on Long Island or whatever. <laughs> and he just has like a mid Atlantic accent or whatever you call it. But now it's like, well, I kind of, it's like how also the character Blade played by Wesley Snipes, Blade in the comic books is supposed to be. English, like you're supposed to be from England, but you go, yeah, but how can that not be an American guy? Blade is so, do you know what I mean? Like you, you, you get a performance and it just locks on. So, but even without me growing up with star Trek, the next generation, I 1000% knew about the significance of that character. Even after I started watching star Trek uh, for years and I found myself more gravitating towards original series I could still watch an episode of next gen and go, yeah, but Patrick Stewart is phenomenal. And I understand too, that like, I don't think that this is what Kirk did for audiences. I think Kirk was like a wish fulfillment type character. I think Picard was a father who raised a generation that was watching television. And I think that has a profound effect on how people view Patrick Stewart to this day. I think he kind of takes on those responsibilities. And whereas I don't feel like William Shatner, like took on the same, like saw the role in the same way. Yeah. He doesn't doesn't want to be your dad. Right. And it's like, no, and that's not what Kirk was. In fact, Kirk was a bad father. Like he (laughs) technically abandoned his child as we learn later in the movies, but that's going to be later. But, you know, but Picard was still, and I think it's so interesting. You guys were talking about this because in the first episode he gets so mad at children and for the first <laughs> first few seasons like jean-luc picard hates children and i found that to be so off-putting but then that is part of his like arc in that series is that he warms up to like wesley crusher and you know and so i i really do think that that fatherly aspect to it made an entire generation of star trek fans grow up and go jean-luc picard i want him to be my father i want to be kirk but i want you know i want to be on picard's ship and so anyway, when I got to, to, to sit across from him and just ask him a few questions and I think he was sitting next to, I'm trying to remember, I think it was maybe Michelle Heard. Um, no, I in, watched
0: the clip just now. It was, uh yeah. was Isa Briones. Is that how you say her name? Oh, that's who they
1: paired her with? Lovely. Yeah, yes, she was also yes. so, so nice. And, and that was, that was really great. Yeah. I think Michelle Heard, maybe she was with, um, um, Jerry oh my gosh, Ryan. I'm blanking. Yeah. Jerry Ryan, seven, seven of nine. Um, but I remember I didn't mean to say Sir Patrick, but I like called him Sir Patrick and he just answered a question. Like I asked him a question, but you know, instead of just saying like, Patrick, what's, I was like, Sir Patrick, this question. And he was like, he just took it, you know, without missing a beat. And, but in my head, I was like, damn it. I meant not to say that, (laughs) but to, to to kind of summarize that experience, it's like, when you meet this man, you can, you can feel the, the um, whatever that, thing is he had he he like exuded niceness and everybody it just felt like everybody was kind of gravitating around him you know what i mean like you like there's other actors that are his his age that don't give that off but he has this it's it's like i don't know maybe because i'm an ignorant american but he almost has this sort of otherworldly like you know like sophistication right and i and i felt that you know i felt that and i got to sort of like i don't think you guys know this, but I was at Star Trek Las Vegas when they announced he was going to come back, oh, which no. I, I have to tell you guys this story because this was insane. So I <laughs> I got invited to go to Star Trek. No, actually, I don't think I got invited. I think I just bought tickets on my own. And my my girlfriend had never been to Las Vegas and I was like, We have to go. It's awful and great at the same time. I love that city. It is the worst, but it's also glamorous. That's like and the perfect
2: way to describe yes,
1: it. Yes. It's disgusting and glamorous all at once. So it's sometimes Star Trek days, is there. It's great. <laughs> <laughs> it's great for so, three days. Yes. So I think Chris did you say great for three days or great for three ways because both I think would (laughs) work okay yeah I said
2: three days but um yeah three or more ways
1: (laughs) (laughs) so my girlfriend agreed and she's a Trekkie at this point like I was also we're watching the new like I said everything from 2017 we're watching Discovery and all the new stuff and um nobody knew that that uh, Patrick Stewart was returning so we go to Las Vegas for the weekend And during Star Trek Las Vegas, they have different panels on like their main stage. The one panel that I wanted to go see and my girlfriend was like, yeah, I'll come with you, was a like composer panel that had Michael Giacchino. And I can't even remember who else was on the panel, but they were talking about all of the music of Star Trek. And I love Michael Giacchino's work for the new Star Trek. And he's like really nice, too. He's like absolutely salt of the
2: earth type person. Yeah.
1: And he loves, he like, he grew up on this stuff. So I was so excited to go see Giacchino on this panel with a a, a other, I think they had like the composer from Deep Space Nine and some other folks. And I went, Ooh, that's going to be great. Right before that panel was like an hour of William Shatner on stage, just like doing his thing, you know? (laughs) (laughs) So we get there like 15 minutes before that panel is ending. And as that panel's ending, people are starting to file out even more. So me and my girlfriend, like move closer in the rows and I'm sitting there and I'm going, great, we're just going to watch this composer panel. And all of a sudden they're like, they're like, ladies and gentlemen, Alex Kurtzman. And he just comes out and everyone's freaking out because he's like the head of Star Trek creative. And he starts saying, we, we weren't planning on doing this. Um, but we wanted to, to bring him out. Uh, everybody here's Sir Patrick Stewart. He comes out, the crowd goes insane. (laughs) I can already see online. It's like trending that Patrick Stewart is just at Star Trek Las Vegas, but I'm there and I'm on my phone and I'm like, what is happening? And he comes out and he's, and he's getting emotional from like the crowd response. And he starts saying, you know, you know, I never thought I'd, I'd come back, but, but, uh, talking to these folks, I'm extremely excited to tell you Jean-Luc Picard is back. And the energy in there was indescribable, indescribable. And Later, my girlfriend was like, "I bet you Shatner was so pissed that that happened oh right God, after his, his. Had <laughs> to be right, <laughs> <laughs> which just made it even better. It's so funny. Had and to have <laughs> f-ing lost it. I'm freaking out, and I'm taking photos and posting them on Twitter, and it's kind of blowing up, blowing up because I'm like, I don't know how many other people that are in this auditorium right now are like trying to document it for you know, like the internet, on it. Re- re- no one, did, no one. Cause it was such a surprise. There's no reporters in there. There's no press release. So I'm kind of trying to do that. And I'm not really a reporter, but I'm doing a Twitter thread of like, I post a photo of him. And then I say, he just said this, I post a photo and it's like he's coming back for a series and it's called Star Trek Picard and it's not going to be next generation, but it's going to have this new tone. And he was saying like, I can't remember the specifics, but I remember, Patrick Stewart was like, with everything that's happening in the world right now, and it's obviously he was hinting at the fact that like Donald Trump was just elected. You know what I mean? It was Mm -hmm. this, it was Mm -hmm. and and with everything that was happening in England with Brexit. That was also Patrick Stewart's perspective, that he was like talking to these creatives. I trust them where they want to take this story and how meaningful it could be, and something to the effect of like, now is the time that people need this character to come back. You know, and, and it was like emotional and guys, I didn't even grow up with next generation. You know what I mean? Like, and, it, it, and you're, like you're still
2: like feeling it right?
1: I hundred percent feeling it. My girlfriend is feeling it. She hasn't, she didn't grow up watching star Trek, the next generation either. But just to be there in that moment live and I'm like still tweeting about it. And then he goes off stage and then they bring out the composer panel. I don't remember a single thing from that panel. I was just like on Twitter freaking out, you know, and it was, but I, but we sat through it and, and afterwards my girlfriend and I were like, we were so lucky to happen to be in the room during the most momentous moment, you know, for that whole show, but certainly for Star Trek news in like years. Um, All because I wanted to go see the composer. So so I had like a lot of feelings about this before this show Star Trek Picard even came out.
0: It's amazing, that awesome, yeah, <laughs> that's, like, that's very cool. Uh, okay, so this episode was
1: called Remembrance. It premiered on Paramount Plus. On January anyway, let's kill it. This one was a bad one. I kill it. That's what I would say. <laughs> I'm kidding. Sorry. <laughs> Hold on. We'll all get our turn. Yes. yes. After, after all that, kill it. We'll all get
2: back to our killing. Soon enough.
0: <laughs> that was a nice birthday present for me, January twenty-third, twenty twenty. Telepay by Akiva Goldsman and AND James Duff. I sucked in my breath because here we go. Story by Akiva Goldsman and Michael Chabon and Kirsten Beyer and Alex Kurtzman and James Duff. Directed by Hanalee Culpepper, uh, who did a, a fing fantastic job, I gotta say, right out of the mm-hmm. gate. Um, even even a couple of years later, I'm like, wow, this is no easy task. And I think she knocked it out of the park. Quick, quick synopsis. Uh, Sir Patrick Stewart returns as Jean-Luc Picard in a serialized drama about his retirement years after resigning in protest of Starfleet's decision to halt relief efforts for Romulans displaced by their home solar system sun-going supernova, an event that served to be the catalyst of the Chris Pine 09, Star Trek 09 movie. Picard finds himself alone, sad, waiting for death on his family chateau in France until one day he receives a visitor who's in distress, a woman who needs his help, who he discovers is Data's daughter. And somehow the fate of the galaxy is in finding this girl who dies and then has a twin, and then he has to go on a quest looking for this twin. There we go. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I kind of ran out of steam there because I was trying to put this together in a way that was punchy. And I'm like, there's a lot of and then, and then, and then. So I don't know. Anyway, but as you said, this is a... Uh, Hector, in the announcement, the, this was conceived as a different tone for Star Trek serialized. There was a CBS investor call that uh, they Viacom, I mean, told the investors that it's Star Trek's first adult series, which mm. is a weird phrasing, but they basically meant like you know this is their they meant dicks. <laughs> <laughs> this is this is their Game of Thrones essentially, or like their gritty, their kind of like heightened drama uh, that took on more adult tones. And like you said, we've got uh modern parallels here we've got a refugee crisis Mm -hmm. we've got uh sort of basically an evil bureaucracy and you know rising fascism as sort of the thing and wouldn't you know it uh, um, a star like patrick stewart saying this character i played is sort of a religious figure a leader that everyone believes so of course an actor saying wouldn't it be great if I saved the world, <laughs> from its, <laughs> the current world from itself? Yes, I will come back and do the show. And then my final kind of general cap on the series, this is definitely the first Star Trek show to be produced by uh, a knight of the British court, uh, a Pulitzer Prize winner <laughs> and an Academy Award winning screenwriter. I guarantee you no other Star Trek show can say that. So um, also, that we is, forgot to impressive. mention this. Yeah, we forgot to mention this for uh, Encounter at Farpoint. TV Guide voted Patrick Stewart as the best dramatic television actor of the 1980s. Wow. Whoa. This was in 1993, so um, which is, is both, it, is, uh, it's damning with faint praise a little bit because there was a lot of television on in the 80s, sure. but worth pointing out so much of it was sort of disposable that his performance as Captain Picard really did make an impact on the culture on pop culture, on American culture, yeah, Star Trek was, for a very small amount of time, The Next Generation, like the most-watched TV show. It, it was
1: wild. That's crazy. Well, do you think
2: William Shatner's upset that he wasn't recognized <laughs> for T.J. Hooker during the 80s as a fine, dramatic actor?
0: Oh, yeah. No, that scene? <laughs> Patrick there Stewart, was... once again, a
2: tidal wave
0: erasing William Shatner. There was
2: one point win at the Emmys that William Shatner was nominated for an emmy in the same category as alan alda and william shatner won and alan alda was like really unhappy about it (laughs) about how he lost well he's i think he said something like i lost to fucking bill shatner or something
1: (laughs) wow yeah alan alda Alda feels like he's such a nice old man i can't even imagine he is yeah he is but like he's a nice old man but at the time (laughs) yeah i guess so I can't believe I lost to fucking Bill Shatner (laughs) perfect are you serious Bill Shatner I was on MASH how could this happen
2: It was for I think it was for his role in the West Wing too,
0: so like a serious role. (laughs) Wait a minute! Wait a minute! Wait a minute! I don't remember this at all. So Alan Alda lost for the West Wing versus (laughs) Shatner in in either Boston Legal or it had been season eight of The Practice. Oh my god!
2: I don't. I think it was like it might have been best guest star. I'm going to have to look this up. Oh no, I I think you're right. Because it would have
0: to have been for the practice. Then I would imagine. Wow. Yeah. It would. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> okay well like uh, i think there's something. even
2: a shot there might even be a shot of alan alda ripping up his speech or something i could be misremembering that though wow man but, yeah, that that not sounds as like a bit. bit
1: that sounds like a bit it, but it if it's could not be a, a bit, bit but like great <laughs>
2: to continue after the ceremony
0: <laughs> do you remember when you watched it i mean it was only a couple years ago i don't know did all of us watch it when it came out i did not or, i did not, not have
2: paramount plus at the time so no i did not watch mm. it
1: but, but not for I lack of interest, was, yeah. <laughs> or yeah, or whatever. That's so interesting too. That that um that that you know, like the question of like, did next generation fans? Because you know, this whole conversation's been happening with streaming lately, and especially in the case of Disney with Disney Plus. There's, I, I've seen a lot of conversations about like they may be pulling back on all of the various shows that they're doing because Disney Plus has certain fans already locked in, so it's like. There's no Marvel fan who hasn't already gotten Disney Plus. There's not another Marvel show that they're like, okay, I've been waiting for two years, but this is the one that's going to get me to sign up, right? But I'm curious if Star Trek: Picard did bring in a lot of next generation fans to sign up for their service, at least in North America, which is what I think, or the U.S. is, which is um, Paramount Plus. I think everywhere else, it's like it maybe was on Amazon. I'm, I'm not sure, but like if, if Star Trek fans were not interested in Discovery, like. Did another one of the shows being much more different than discovery, get them to check out the star Trek stuff? I don't know. I'd be curious to see that.
0: Yeah. We'll never know. I mean, mm-hmm. yeah, <laughs> another we'll part of know. It, yeah, the thing is these, these star Trek shows are insanely expensive compared to what it was. And, you know, and I, I think they're competitive in the marketplace, 15 million an episode thereabouts, which mm-hmm. is competitive with, you know, game of Thrones and that stuff. But on, in the case of Picard, I think it exists mainly because of generous California tax credits. Like that's mm-hmm. been the thing that's kept it going. So
1: mm-hmm.
0: uh, hard to say, um, but I mean, just real quick, yeah, I watched it too. I but I was as, as excited as that crowd was, Hector. You just oh, yeah. recount, you just recounting that experience was yeah. getting me excited again. I drove, <laughs> I drove down when the trailer came out at Comic Con when the trailer was finally done. And uh, I drove down to San Diego just to go to the pop-up, not to go to Comic-Con, like after wow. a trailer. But yeah, like, the then you couldn't have
2: gotten a ticket anyway.
0: Yeah, no, but I mean, like, that's <laughs> how much I was just like, I, I it wasn't like I wanted to meet anybody. I just wanted to, like, have more of the experience of the show and, like, see uh-huh. what props they put out and all that stuff. It was exciting. Captain Picard, it was exactly what you said. He was a role model to me. Like, after my dad mm-hmm. died, like, literally the only real like male role model I had for a time, which is wow. a little sad. I'm not going to deny, but like, no. you know, for a time. And I remember my mom as a gift wrote him a letter and he wrote back with a headshot. What? It what? was very nice huh? and all that stuff. Yeah, it was, it was great. So uh, Picard, you know, big deal to me, obviously, yes. which is, which is why it, it's been very hard over the years to kind of admit my, not, it feels almost like a betrayal being like, I kind of, I kind of like Cisco more or that's fine or like i could become a little more ride or die with kirk sometimes but yeah it's like L- obviously Listen, i'm
1: i'm i'm a huge i'm i'm the person who if the conversation and it used to be kirk or picard who's the better character who's the better captain right i will usually go james t kirk and i think i have enough to kind of back it up like i don't just say ah, i like him more i think i can pull some stuff to back it up but there are things that that character Jean-Luc Picard does that no other character in Star Trek can do, you know? So if you want to say you like Cisco overall, go for it. But there's still stuff that, like, that only Patrick Stewart as Picard can do. And um, that's another part of the reason I like, I really like this first episode, but I overall still like the Picard show. It's tough not to talk about the whole show with this podcast because we're just looking at the first episode kind of thing. It's hard not to... Think about like absolutely one and, and where it ends in season two and, and the fact that season three is going to be the, the reunion of all of the next generation characters. But I, I mean, for, for the, the premise of Star Trek Picard, bringing Patrick Stewart back, having a different tone, they kept you kept saying it was like their first adult series. I just think that means for old people. And I think that's good. <laughs> I don't think that's a bad thing. You know, I think, I it's, think it's I agree with that. That's a yeah, good assessment. I love that. I I didn't see
0: I had no issue with what the what the conception is. I think right. Patrick Stewart being over playing the character and doing the week to week stuff, the plan of the week sure. being captain sure. makes total sense to me. Um in the show he has a line, he quotes Shakespeare, he says, No legacy is so rich as honesty. This comes after he's had this terrible TV interview, which I'll get into. Um, mm. But, you know, Picard as a character, you know, that that is really what he had. He stands for is is uh, honesty and seeking the truth and mm-hmm. trying to just, you know, operate under that. And that was consistent throughout the show. And I like that they carry that over to some degree, at least in the first episode for this character. I, agree. I think that's, I think that's enough of a setup. Let's, let's get into these grades here. Cause we, we've got several of them. Are you ready, Hector?
1: Yes. <laughs>
0: okay. I am. So we're we're going to start with great scenes. What great scenes did you see in this first episode?
1: I mean, I love the opening, but I'm going to pick uh, the, the scene with the reporter, which I thought was honestly, really great. It was a great setup to, to know, like that Picard was like, w- she understands what we're not, to talk about, right? And you as an audience member, you're like, well, she's obviously going to bring that up. Like that's going to co- you know, come into play in this conversation. And 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 in the back and forth I thought it was really great. I think that it kind of became the thesis of the um of the series where that when 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 Picard goes, the Federation understood there were millions of lives at stake and she goes, Romulan lives. And he goes, No, lives. I'm like, that's my guy. Yeah. That's mm-hmm. my dude. That is Jean-Luc. The fact that he got so mad when he was like, it was downright criminal that Starfleet ignored these people in their time of need. Um, I just thought that that whole exchange was because when you're first watching this episode, you're like, why did he leave Starfleet? What the hell happened? And that's a really compelling mystery that they're not going to tell you right up front. But with this uh, conversation, I thought that was a really worthwhile, strong, great scene.
0: Kristen, what do you got?
1: Um, Well, you know what? Mine happens
2: even before that. I really like the cold open. Like you have Mm -hmm. Picard and Data playing poker in 10 forward. Like you got me. You got me (laughs) like I know it's like a dream or a flashback like or whatever, like, you know, when I first see it, but I'm still like, I like this. This is my familiar stuff. I like it. And it like sets up, you know, what's to come. um, And that something horrible had happened but we don't know exactly what yet. Mm -hmm. So
0: (laughs) I, I'm sorry to sound it this way, but I had, I thought these are all great scenes because they told you what the show is. Mm -hmm. So for me personally, I didn't necessarily enjoy them and can, you know, critique them or whatever. And a lot of them were just kind of written as necessity. It's funny that you mentioned the interview scene because, you know, later on Alex Kurtzman would go on to adapt a version of sounds of the lambs with Clarice and it basically opens, it opens basically with that scene, which is a very, you know, it's just kind of a very of its time, like, let's have an interview or a counseling session where mm-hmm. you basically recount all the events to set us up. Uh, but it, but like, literally, that scene tells us what's happened since we last saw Picard, but it also establishes the tone and values of the Star Trek universe as it exists in this show that we're watching. You know, mm-hmm. it's basically humans being very cold, like you said, the 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 racist angle essentially. Mm-hmm. But then also just the idea that it's saying, you know, nine hundred million lives. I think they're lowering that count if a star goes nova. But anyway, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, you've got you know nine hundred million refugees, and then ninety two thousand one hundred twenty four people on Mars died, and of course she's making that moral equivalency of saying our lives that we have are more mm-hmm. valuable. And then I have the scene outside Starfleet archive where Dodge finds Picard and Picard just straight up tells our Susan the Android. Yeah. Even yeah. though, even though he's,
2: I have some news for you.
0: Yeah. <laughs> like... Yeah. But it's, it's so funny because it's like his reasoning is I had a dream <laughs> mm-hmm. and the dream caused me to go and look at a painting in my storage locker or at this but- museum. And then it made me realize, (laughs) but I'm just saying like the way it kind of just kind of brusque. What am I saying? Brusquely kind of brutishly it Mm -hmm. brute forces its way into the story, Mm -hmm. but just to kind of advance, like this is a lot to drop on her and he's doing Mm -hmm. it in a way where it's like, I know it's a lot to drop on you, but I'm going to say a couple (laughs) of kind words around that. And I just need you to go with it. Um, (laughs) That was kind of it.
1: (laughs) I, I love the idea that, um, I think we I think we just got another taste of it with the Indiana Jones trailer that just came out but Harrison Ford did the same thing in 2015 when he came back as Han Solo where it's like you take the character who by this point who's been through so many adventures and magical, you know, moments that they go, yeah, it's true kid, all of it. It's all real. The Jedi, the, you know, that I'm like at this point I like that John Luke Picard is so like you know two two steps ahead that he's like okay I've been through this multiple times if this dream came to me it has to be significant on like a magical level like it's very important so when this woman shows up he goes I think your date is child like just cuts yeah. right to act 3 does not and do the like, you know But I grew yeah. up in Seattle like that's yeah. that's nice yeah. that's Yeah no, he
2: literally says, yeah. yeah he goes nice I'm glad you have
0: that memory <laughs>
2: <Yeah>. <laughs> Most patronizing thing like uh-huh. it is uh however, complete bullshit. Sorry. Mm -hmm.
0: (laughs) I am actually a big fan. I do wish some shows, especially shows that have been on a longer time Mm -hmm. or like in movies. I, I like exactly what you're saying where the characters are like the audience. You're like, I've been through this before. I'm just going to shortcut. I know what's going on here. (laughs) I do like that notion of it. Um, but again, I think it's just more the show is telling you what kind of a show it is. It's like, so she's not actually important like who she is but what she represents is very important mm. and then i do have one last great scene that i have to say because i can't find the tweet i think it's been deleted but i remembered it until the it actually premiered but when they screened it in the uk ian mckellen was at the premiere and mm. and and someone tweeted i can't uh the best part of the picard screening tonight was there was a moment that happened that caused Ian McKellen to gasp in a dark theater. My goodness. <laughs> <And> so, <laughs> so I remember that. And so when, <laughs> when the episode happened, I assumed it was when, uh, Dodge explodes. Well, yeah. first she, a, a classic, you have the biggest summer blockbuster writers, uh, Kurtzman and, Akiva Goldsman writing so they have to Uh transformers this up it's like it's not enough that she dies she has to melt and be exploded so we gotta uh-huh. do two things to her. But when she blows up, it's very shocking. It's a very shocking moment. It's not what you think that how the episode's gonna go. Did so I ever remember get
2: confirmation. I of tweeted what back. Was I, I
0: tweeted about. back at the guy. I said, Was it this scene? He goes, Yes, it was. Yes. Oh wow. Oh <laughs> so it's for, that's awesome. getting her reaction out of Ian McKellen automatically makes it a great scene.
1: So <laughs> that is that you know, and I was gonna bring this up too because when I did I got to do the press junket for this show I hadn't seen the show but I interviewed again she's sitting next to Patrick Stewart Issa briones talking about her character Dodge so I uh, when the when they killed her in the first episode I truly was like what did they kill her <laughs> off in episode one and this whole press thing was just like a like like you know pulling the rug out from under us like thinking she's gonna be like a you know is she gonna appear in flashbacks now like you know a lot of shows will do that as, is a is is a, a character will still be a part of the story even after they're dead, kind of a thing. Right. But um, no, I was I was honestly shocked that they killed her in that episode, and then at the end when they revealed that she had a sister, I was like, oh, like I had no clue. So it was very fun for me. Again, not a writer, I'm not a huge TV person, so I'm very easily impressed. But yes. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Should we get on to best Trek tropes? Yes.
2: Every time we see San Francisco in a Star Trek property, you know, I'm just glad it still exists in the future. Um, It hasn't gone off into Mm. the ocean. Um, So that's nice. Um, I also thought it was interesting that like when we have this scene of Daj in her apartment, like her boyfriend complains about how crappy her replicator is. And like, (laughs) and I didn't even like dawn on me, like, of course a college student would not have like the nice, the super nice food replicator that could do anything. She has Mm -hmm. one that does vanilla shakes only. And also, I thought, it. and I also, we've already touched on this, but, like, the resettlement of the Romulans being a huge political issue and a lot of previous Star Trek shows didn't really get into the politics of Starfleet. It would get into the politics of, like, whatever planet they're at or whatever conflicts they're involved in, but not necessarily the... Politics back home, and I thought I put down his best Trek trope just because it. I mean, we haven't seen it before, but I like that they're putting that in there because before we're just sort of made to believe that everything is great in Starfleet. Yes, they make mistakes occasionally, but every on the whole, it's a great institution, and that's not necessarily the case in this mm-hmm.
1: one. It, it's almost, I almost feel like when fans of Star Wars get older, the older they get, the more they're like, wait a minute. The whole jedi thing is bad they're not good the organization (laughs) is not just like some jedi are like you know little darker are gonna go sith or whatever but like the whole thing you know taking kids from their families very young and training like all of that is bad and i think that star trek fans i hope as they get older too it becomes more about like wait a minute what is starfleet what is it doing what is it doing to other worlds what is it you know what are things like back home and it is supposed to be a utopia but I like, in my opinion, I really appreciate it when the there's something off at Starfleet is done well. Sometimes it's not done well. Sometimes it's this weird alien worm that's infiltrated a Starfleet person and they have to like blow it up and it's weird. But other times I think, I, I remember when the show came out, people were complaining online, oh, that's not Starfleet. They're just doing it to try and be, you know, to show progressive politics uh-huh. and blah, 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 blah. And I go, the point, in my mind, the point of this whole franchise is not to be a perfect utopian thing. It's obviously supposed to represent our world and it's supposed to show you that you need to continue to work at the, the types of things that Starfleet has achieved. Like the same thing happened this year with the show Andor, that Star Wars show that people uh-huh. were watching and they're like, Oh, this is about how difficult it is to fight fascism. You have to do it all the time. So I like it when Star Trek shows can show you the nuance of Starfleet in some of its ideals might not necessarily work with its utopian, you know, um, with, 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 with what it thinks it's doing. And sometimes they make mistakes and sometimes there's an individual that's corrupt, or sometimes there's a whole side of Starfleet that you go, wow, how does section 31 even exist? Like that's really, that should not be there. But it is. And it's and I really, really appreciate that stuff. I don't write it off as like, you know, oh, that's not Jean's vision or whatever. I'm like, no, that's bunk. Yeah. You know, it should it should be about how people can work together to overcome that kind of stuff. And and um, so I, re- I also really appreciate that, too.
0: I think generally my view is I'm I can dig or grok some deconstruction but, mm-hmm. you know, how you deconstruct is as important as what or why you're deconstructing it. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I think sometimes this one hits the, if we're doing operation, I don't think they extract the value without hitting the sides quite a lot. But that's, <laughs> but in, buried within that, one of the best trick tropes I like is we do learn why Picard is no longer with Starfleet. He resigned mm-hmm. in protest and spoiler alert, we'll find out later uh, in one of the later episodes that he does it as sort of a gambit and and Mm. and i liked it because that fits with picard's character like literally in the first episode he surrenders yeah (laughs) so he thought he's he basically thought i'm a famous celebrity if i resign that will get starfleet's attention and he tendered his resignation as a protest for them pulling out and they're like great we're gonna keep not helping the romulans (laughs) i think
2: (laughs) um the Marquis de Lafayette tried a similar thing during the French Revolution of like, hey guys, I think you guys are taking this too far. And they're like, off with his fucking head. And he's like, okay, I'm out, I'm out. You guys are too crazy.
0: Yeah, so I, uh, but I, so I like the idea of a Starfleet officer standing by their principles. In a weekly series, what happens? They get bailed out or it's like such a right. powerful motion that it, it influences other people to change their minds. And here that doesn't happen. I'm actually totally fine with that as an inciting incident. I think that that's, it's within his character. It works well. It's a good Trek trope. And I like it's not an inversion of it. It's just a different consequence than we're used to seeing. Mm-hmm. Um, and I
1: appreciated that. No uh, one's going to throw out
0: the poker game?
1: Oh, that's pretty good. Yeah, i I don't know if it's a Trek trope, but I loved when he said T, Earl Grey, decaf." I thought uh-huh. it was a great little moment, and that's yeah, a line his, that, his that tea, uh, yeah, that's a line that Patrick Stewart wrote. That he was like, I thought that the fans would enjoy that little moment, you know. But it's He's not right, hot. It's <laughs> yeah. decaf. I think that was great. Yeah. <laughs> and that's why he gets a producer credit, y'all. Okay, that's He's right. Got the good that's ideas. Right,
2: yeah? That's exactly right. <laughs> All right. Worst Trek tropes. Hector, what do you have?
1: I could not think of one. Um, uh, One of you guys go first. Give me some examples and then I'll try to I'll try to jump in. But uh, give me give me whatever. Yeah, I have one. The personal cloaking devices on the roof fight, (laughs) which I feel
2: a little a little ham fisted just because they're like, well, nothing showed up on security. So we don't we can't believe That the Romulans were there and trying to do this and that, and it's like, okay, the entire like the entire Romulans and cloaking devices are a trope for sure. Yes,
0: the entire rooftop thing is completely absurd, and it's only once we find out down the line some other things going on in the in Starfleet that it only barely makes sense what's going on in the roof. Just the idea that you could have this big, huge fight. Yeah. In the middle
2: of Starfleet, you know, in San At the Francisco. the Starfleet <laughs> Archive in broad daylight. <laughs> right. When we just saw on the ground floor, it was packed with people. Like, people right. coming to and fro. And not, yeah. nobody heard any commotion. And they're like, oh, well, it was a cloaking device. Right. But still, like, are the explosions cloaked? So we'll like, find I out know, later. Like
0: why, why, yeah, but that's a good one. I, I didn't, you know, I didn't quite clock it. I just thought that was weird speculation on their part. Where they're like, yeah, they must have had a personal cloaking device. I'm like, I guess it makes sense they have it. Fine. But mine was the, at the time, and and I think even more, it's grown in size. The techno babble to explain fractal neuronic cloning that <laughs> you could take a cell from data's positronic brain and clone it, and it would basically make two data's. Uh, or you mm. can manipulate it, and it would grow. And it was, and to me, I'm like, a single. First of all, I was like a single, a single cell. <laughs> that doesn't. Okay, that alone is like. This seems like very shaky technology. If it's so difficult to recreate data, right? But it's very easy to clone him. That seems very odd. Uh, but anyway, as a technobabble term, I can kind of barely see the idea making sense. But it's just one of those things that are tossed out and you're just supposed to go with it. That it was it's so abrupt It stuck it it stood out like a episode of Voyager where, where it's like, How are we gonna get through
1: this? Oh, we'll use an interferometric pulse. It's like, okay, what's
0: <laughs> what's that gonna do? <laughs> yeah. I thought
1: I thought of one I thought of a worse trek trope. The end reveal to to learn that um Daj's sister is st- st- working or or meeting a romulan character and they pan out and they're on a board cube i just thought that the reveal was just way too long i'm like i don't know how you could shorten that i don't know if it could be closer to the edge of a board cube but pretty soon as the camera started panning out i was like oh yeah they're on a board cube and then it kept panning and pan like zooming out zooming out uh-huh. zooming out through their little like we have ships on this part of the cube and we hit ha- you know i'm like okay i just think that that part took too long
0: Hector, but it's a callback to Star Trek First Contact, don't you remember? (laughs) Sure.
1: (laughs) Look, I understand that one of the tropes in Star Trek is to take way too long looking at the ship's or the how know, dare the, you the, the sir star, how star dare you. or whatever they are yeah. Yeah. how uh, dare it's, you it's wonderful and i just but it...
2: complained about star trek discovery the first two episodes not actually showing us the
1: ship so yeah <laughs> it's indulgent that's all it's a little yeah. indulgent that's all it is that's okay. why we're
0: <laughs> aboard her that's why we're it. risk <laughs> is our business that's right <laughs> and long gazes at beautiful ships is mm. part of that business goodness okay i I gotta put this in here i don't know where else to put it because we were talking about dodge and the twins can we talk about the the awful necklace that gets a lot a lot of attention in this episode so it it, it's it's referenced three times (laughs) that's an unusual necklace where did you get that rep that necklace and then she takes off to show it to picard and it's like crappily made too. I'm all due respect to the prop person on that. Not a good job. It's not. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sure you had other stuff to do, and they probably just threw this necklace in it for like a reshoot. And you're like, "What is this?" And so you just had to do it. But like, it's like bent metal. Like the wire, it's mm-hmm. like a bent wire, and then these yeah, two it looks really like it's made hastily, out like floral
2: wire or yeah, something. Like yeah, you just get at the craft store and you can bend with a pair of pliers.
0: Exactly, and it's not unusual. It's two silver rings uh, tied uh, put together. It, there's nothing unusual about it whatsoever.
1: Yeah, yeah I'm trying to remember. Did did Jean Luc mention that? Because then he went back to the archives, and it was like a, a symbol that was present somewhere or something. No, like, would, they just wanted to establish.
0: To they just wanted to establish the idea of twinning and gotcha. cloning, yeah. and that she has a twin, and that's all it was there for. Um, mm. and, and it's not even like used again, or referenced. Oh, speaking of the painting, are we, are we sure that they had no, I, that no one making the show remembered lol data's oh, daughter know. data's actual oh. goddamn no, I thought, daughter.
1: I thought that there was a reference to lol in the episode. Didn't Picard the, say the reference like- is
0: data always said he wished she had a daughter. Right, that's the reference. Not
2: data had a daughter who died, and right <laughs> that that would be different like, from a King of the Hill. I always wanted a son named Hank. <laughs> 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 uh, most of it's time quality. Um,
1: Hector, you can go first unless you want one please of us. Go, please go. Please go for a sector. I got, got so much. <laughs> I you got so much. I think yeah. that it's a very two thousands. What? It, when did this come out? Two years ago? Twenty so twenty. I think it's a very 2020s show. It's very shiny and slick. It's um, just like with the, with Discovery as well. You can absolutely see the influence of the um, like the new 09, Star Trek yep. films. Yeah, the 09, the Kelvin timeline uh, stuff, which I like a lot of that stuff. I don't mind it. I think that um, you know the lens flares when used appropriately are good. But uh, this is definitely a show that does not try to look like the. Um, the 80s or 90s like aesthetic of the next generation you know even though it's supposed to be i don't know how many years after however many years later it's supposed to be but yeah that's my thing
0: okay
2: Kristen, um i thought that the rooftop fight was very marvel-esque down to the fighting and everything it looks just like something you would see in like a marvel movie she literally does the um, Black
0: Widow move where she She hooks does the guy's like
2: neck. all of the Black Widow moves. Yeah. I mean, I wonder if they use the same stunt person. Um, and I also put that Starfleet being an untrusted institution now. I mean, that's definitely is of it of today. Mm-hmm. Um, and of course the opening credits, the, the opening title sequences mm-hmm. um, are definitely a
1: recent it- TV the very artistic, you know, yeah, whatever that stuff is supposed to be. Yeah, this will be meaningful later in the season. That kind of uh-huh. thing. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. The
0: the fight scene on the roof, just another thing in there. I thought it it looked, another sign that this is what the show is about. It looked great, but made no sense because she's uh-huh. an android. She could just put her fist through all these guys. So, like, the only time her being an android really stood through was, like, she could, like, dodge the, the phaser blast, which was great. And then when she does that 30-foot michael jordan leap onto the steps love that (laughs) but it's like all these other times like she doesn't need to grapple with them one punch they're dead you know it's like that kind of thing with data um but um okay i got my list here i'll start small de-aging technology um Mm -hmm. pretty Mm -hmm. new for the time and being used to de-age brent spiner as data Mm mm-hmm at the time, it, it looked good, and now seeing it two years later, I'm like, okay, all right.
1: Um, <laughs> it's it's tough because his face is just a different shape. His head Absolutely. is a different shape than it was, mm-hmm. and so Absolutely. yeah, they didn't get the yeah.
0: uniform fit right because it's you know someone had to remake those uniforms, so it's not like they just brought those costumes out, which would mm-hmm. have helped. Um, the hair the hair piece was not accurate. You know, it's it, it was tricky. It looked okay in in certain shots. It looked better than others. It wasn't terrible. Um, I, I think a lot of the dialogue very very modern. You know, I think I heard a dude in there. I think she said, calls her boyfriend dude. Um, uh, Picard getting up from the interview saying, we're done here, which is like a very like this interview is over. A very housewife's kind of storm out. Um, <laughs> yeah. Basic story stuff just to get the plot. Like, why does she rush out of the chateau after Picard's like, you should stay here tonight. And then she just rushes away and she says, I, I just didn't want to put him in danger. But we needed a reason for her to leave so that they could find each other at the archive. You know, just like basically coincidental plotting just to because this is written as a summer blockbuster, even though they're supposed to be writing a a nuanced serialized drama doesn't it's it's a weird mesh of styles. But anyway, here's the other part. This episode and this show could not have existed. It owes all of its credit to 2017's Logan by James Mangold.
1: Oh, definitely.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So that's the, of its time. It's like of its inspiration is more like it, you know, Mm -hmm. Patrick Stewart even said that Logan was such a successful thing and what they did with it and what they did with this character that if they could port that over to Star Trek, that would be what excited him. That was one of for, the things he said. For a half
1: a second, for a half a second, I forgot that Patrick Stewart was in Logan. I was just like, oh yeah, he saw his oh, buddy yeah. Hugh Jackman just killing it. Oh wait, <laughs>
0: <laughs> no, he was, was in it. and He had a great, he had a nice role in it was that. It was wonderful, great. Mm-hmm. wonderful yeah. in that. Yeah. Uh, it's, so the epic conclusion of the Hugh Jackman Wolverine story. But I mean, what is the what is the synth band? It's a mutant band, and uh, and he's got to protect a special girl. With killer fighting skills, hmm. and and but then what happens is and it relies on familiarity with an old friend, um, Data, and all that stuff. I guess in that in the case of Logan though, it's like his offspring, so there's it's a little more direct. Um, but, I, yeah, but but then the, I think what happens offspring is they, through
2: reproductive crimes. Yeah, though.
0: yeah, yeah, well, that's true. So I would say that the only problem is they ran into is like, well, Picard is not Wolverine. So how can we make this more of an action spectacle? <laughs> and it's the card, So we need to have the Borg. So you know what I mean? Like, so there is an inspiration and like a starting point. This is what Patrick wants to do. This is what he, what kind of interests him. We think we have part of a story here, but then they were kind of like, well, how do we make this more interesting? Cause it's not mm-hmm. that interesting. Even though I think you could have found a version where if it was just that, it'd be interesting, but we do get the Borg in here. We get the Romulans. We'll find out what that's all about. And um and this is the final of its time quality. 9-11 is your story starter. So this is the the mm-hmm. Logan was the inspiration, but the story starter is a 9-11 happens, which causes another 9-11 to happen, which sets up an even bigger 9-11. <laughs> like that's <laughs> the premise of the show. Then first 9-11 is the is the Romulan Star exploding, which causes another 9-11, the synths rebelling on mars and killing and destroying mars and all the people there which sets up a third one which i guess i won't spoil but it's tied into the sense and all that stuff um and so Did, that's very the mars,
1: and the Mars didn't the mars one happen first and then that's what made them recall and then the romulan star exploded killing so Romulus? it's a little
0: it's a little hazy on the timeline mm-hmm. of when when one mm-hmm. explodes versus the other uh, i'm not entirely sure to be honest with you in my head it was happening uh, after the star exploded because they said 900 million and i'm like okay well if the romulan star we saw in 09 um that the, the planet was destroyed so that'd be billions of people who died mm-hmm. so you couldn't you couldn't actively say that they were getting that everyone you know people who had gotten off the planet or were stranded because the star exploded that would cause a lot of ripple effects so i don't know i could be wrong that one happened and then the other what the order is but Three 9-11s. And that has been a, a pattern for all these Star Trek stories going back to 09. Star Trek 09 starts with the 9-11. You know, it's like, and then Star Trek Into Darkness is a 9-11. And then mm, in Star Trek mm-hmm. Beyond, they're trying to prevent a 9-11. And, <laughs> and so, and then even in Discovery, it's like every season a 9-11. So it's just mm. a, it's like a, it's a tired, I think it's a tired story, story trope right now. But even Enterprise was doing that, right? talked about this in our episode Kristen. like that was all what season three was about was the hunt for bin laden after a Mm 9-11 attack happens on earth so that's had repercussions okay would you consider
1: (laughs) would you consider the uh uh the whales movie them trying to prevent a 9-11 because a huge probe showed up talking to whales and then they had to go back in time to get the whales to come back forward to prevent a 9-11
0: well, just from 2022 standpoint, you know, thinking about the writers at the time writing it, they certainly weren't thinking about it from that time. They weren't, mm-hmm. they couldn't, but they were conceiving of essentially a, a massive, that was a planetary destruction, an environmental mm-hmm. disaster, the end of the human race, that our, our environment, the world as we know it, that's, that's true. certainly true.
1: That uh, was but this Leonard is, Nimoy. Yeah.
0: Yeah. But I think with the 9-11 type stories, they do, they are kind of like easy setups because I think for the people making these shows, and what my recollection of 9 11 is, 9 11 was a huge fiasco, terrible tragedy that also then quickly established the the shakiness of our government and our leaders right. and the effectiveness of all that and are we really safe or what is the what are the actual priorities of the people that we've elected to take care of us blah 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 so it set up this thing, train, uh, chain of events that I think that makes it easy then to transfer those concepts into other story ideas mm-hmm. and worlds which I think is mm-hmm. what we got here so
1: mm-hmm.
0: that's that oh, I feel I'm burdened <laughs> now so- <laughs> good i'm glad okay the line must be drawn here
2: great lines um yeah okay so uh dodge says to captain picard or sorry admiral picard in this one retired um have you ever been a stranger to yourself and he says many many times
0: um i have because it made me laugh every single time i've listened to it i even go back and rewind it is when Daj has run out of Chateau Picard and she calls her mom. She goes, "Hi, honey," and then she goes, "Mom, someone tried to kill me." <laughs> it's just, <laughs> it's just the way she says it, and it's so out of out of the place. Uh, it's like it's just very funny to me. Uh, but he quotes Shakespeare, which I already mentioned, and then I had your line as well, Kristen, which you mentioned. Okay, so you stand out. Hey, lovely.
2: look at that. So, yep. Hmm.
1: I really like uh, I got three Picard ones. He's got the best lines in the episode for in my opinion. The first one is I don't want the game to end, which was lovely. Um, The second one I have is when he is wrapping up that conversation with the reporter. He says, I was not prepared to stand by and be a spectator. And you, my dear, you have no idea what Dunkirk is, right? You're a stranger to history. You're a stranger to war. You just wave your hand and it all goes away. Well, it's not so easy for those who died and it was not so easy for those who were left behind. We're done here, which I thought was great.
0: Can I interject that scene? That moment of that scene was really great. And I was really annoyed watching it this time around that they chose to cut away from that and have that Mm. playing sort of in the background. Because that really was a great moment of that mm-hmm. scene where you know mm-hmm. Picard, we've already cited a couple of moments where he really hits the no lives. like. But that yeah. was also just as good as any part of that. It was a bummer they cut away.
1: And this is a very Logan-inspired line. But when Picard says, I haven't been living, I've been waiting to die. I mm-hmm. think that's a really compelling... If you love this character and you know the sort of adventure his life has been, And then you catch up in this show and you're like, oh, it's been X number of years since he's resigned from Starfleet. What has he been doing? You know, he's uh, he's on the Chateau, just like we saw at the series finale of of The Next Generation, that this is a potential future for him, that he was just going to have this quiet, retired life. I love that that he had sort of Romulan, you know, what would I call them? Housekeepers or 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 helpers or aides or Mm -hmm. whatever they are, like friends of his who are like who remembered what he did, what he tried to do to help Romulus. But I love that, that, that confession of Jean Luc's where he's like, I haven't been living. I've been waiting to die. It made me excited. It makes me excited for the rest of Picard, right? You're like, yes, finally. What are we going to do? Let's go. I'm in your corner, dude. Let's go. Let's round everybody up. Whoever you need. Let's go get this thing done. Very exciting.
0: All right. The Anton Caridian award for best performance. Hector, who, who are you putting here?
1: Um, anyone but patrick stewart i'm kidding he's the best he's still (laughs) even the age that he is he's he is beautiful to watch he's really beautiful he's so human and so great for his character i want to highlight Alison pill as agnes durati i think she is funny i think she's got a really difficult role to play and i think that she is so believable in that in, in that scientist role, I I think that she's really really great. I also have another one that I can hold off on, but I am going to highlight Alison Pill as Agnes Girardi. Oh, Kristen. Oh yeah. No, I'm just going to give it to Patrick Stewart. <laughs>
2: See,
0: I, I want to highlight Marin Dungey as the FFN, FNN news reporter. Yeah, yeah, uh, that's a tough director. role. Yeah, Francie from Malius. Yes. Nice, <laughs> but also just really really good in that in a in a really yeah exactly a very tough role um and she's basically speaking exposition and she has mm-hmm. to give a little attitude you know it's it's a very modern character but it's written that way you know it's a very contemporaneous to 2020 and and all that but i don't know she was giving as good as she got and she fit in and i just want to highlight it, it stood out as like very consistent she had a role she nailed it who else did I, you want to highlight
1: hector i really like especially rewatching this episode knowing where what what this actor does and what this character where this character goes for the rest of the two seasons. Orla Brady as Laris, the Romulan woman who was helping Picard, mm-hmm. I think she's lovely. I think that she is is really, really believable in her in her in in the way that she is to Jean Luc. It's, you know the the yeah, other like, male Romulan instantly character, you know, instantly you know,
2: like, mm-hmm. oh, this is a absolutely plausible, believable relationship here. Like,
1: you know exactly who she is in in his life, like immediately. And I, and I think that that actor. Yeah. Yeah. I love that too. Why not? Why the hell not? I think that 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 actor did such a great job that the actor almost carried on beyond whatever they had in mind for that character. You know what I mean? Uh, Without giving away too much of what Picard, what it does i i just think that like you can even see from episode one you go oh she's really really good keep her around patrick stewart they have a really good chemistry when they're in scenes together so
0: totally agree and they they this show was very much in state of flux in its development the first two episodes got expanded out to three they were figuring out the story a lot of the time so when they got lucky with her i think for season one she kind of doesn't she's not in as much as you would think based on Mm -hmm. this episode Um, Mm -hmm. and that's part of the reason why is they are still trying to figure it out
2: the shatner brian what do you have
0: whoever did the voiceover for the assassins when they raid soji's apartment (laughs) where are the rest of you (laughs) she's activated she's activated now part (laughs) of that is they've got the voice filter on these helmeted guys um which by the way they're only helmeted because they're Romulans, and, they, and the producers yeah. don't want to reveal that, which is silly. And then the fact that they beam in and kill her boyfriend and then fight her, instead of just beaming her out, it just doesn't, you know what I mean? It's just silly. But anyway, the, the what adds to the silliestness the most is, is that she's activated, she's activated. <laughs> what did you think was going to happen when you knocked her out? Yeah. <laughs> when you punched her. <laughs>
2: Like, let's put this bag over her head. That'll that'll solve the whole thing.
0: Yeah, exactly. Okay. Any? Does anyone else have a Shatner that they want to throw in there? I know this is a touchy um, thing. This is not
1: criticizing actors no. for like their acting ability. This is just who went for it. Who went for it? I would give it to Patrick Stewart. I think he goes for it in the scene where he you know, gets fired up and yells at the, uh, reporter when he goes, because it was no longer Starfleet. I'm like, that's going for it, baby. Do it. <laughs>
0: I like that. No, that's true. He, he definitely has good moments and, and extreme moments in that one. That's true. Mm-hmm. So,
2: um, I put the index character at Starfleet. <laughs> oh, archives. good one. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What is possible? It's like, uh, all right. <laughs>
0: also Wolf. a hologram. That, yeah, uh, which is which is nice to see. It feels like they forget sometimes in the newer shows that there can just be holographic characters. Mm-hmm. Um, what part of this are they teaching at Starfleet Academy? Um, this was maybe a little tricky because there's a lot of bans and uh, genociding mm-hmm. races. You know, it's like yeah, it seems see. to be the policy of Starfleet now. But I had whatever shit they're they're developing at the Daystrom Institute because mm. Bruce Maddox, which I don't think the show remembers was a Starfleet officer who worked in cybernetics, but then he left to join the Daystrom Institute and then pulled Agnes Gerati out of Starfleet to join in there. And I can buy that he left Starfleet at some point and worked at Daystrom, but you know, I'm sure that the information exchange kind of flows both ways. So whatever Mm -hmm. they were developing there at
2: the Advanced Robotics Research
0: Lab, that's what I think.
2: I put nothing because they don't seem to want to have any part of this shit whatsoever. Like... It's
0: very very think, trumpian, no learning Starfleet.
1: Yeah. I think uh yeah, they I also had um uh I don't I know what they're not teaching at Starfleet Academy, which is uh the history of Dunkirk because I think <laughs> John Luke was right. They don't they don't they just gloss over that. Yeah.
0: How would the predecessor show or Captain resolve the conflict? Now folks, this is a little tricky. Ooh. Because the predecessor show is Star Trek Discovery. Yes. The predecessor captain in the chronology of where we're at in the Star Trek
1: universe, it's technically Captain Janeway. Technically you're wrong, Brian. Who am I missing? Technically, well, <laughs> I'm glad Uh-oh. you I'm glad you asked that, Brian, because I have a beef to pick <laughs> with you two, and that beef is that you have declared that you guys are not covering the animated shows. So you messed up. Because chronologically speaking, my friend, Picard season one, as we know, <laughs> uh, clearly, uh, takes place in the year 2399. So chronologically, before that, you've got a couple of options. You've got 2387 in the Prime timeline when, of course, Spock Prime went back to the Kelvin timeline. If you want to count Chris Bynes Kirk as the predecessor captain... Because of that time shenanigan, you can do that. But to and go back even further, other. yeah, when, yep, yep. If if you want to go back even further than that, um, Star Trek. Got to mention this after Voyager, uh, which takes place. Let's see, the last season here of Voyager is twenty three seventy seven to twenty three seventy eight. So a few years after that, in twenty three eighty, is the first season of Star Trek Lower Decks. And each season has been a year after that. So 2380, 2381, 2382. From 2383 to 84 is the first season of Star Trek Prodigy, which also has a completely different captain than Lower Decks, than Low, you know. There's so many captains to choose from. I'm still an Admiral
0: Janeway in that.
1: Uh, there so is way, a just hologram. Right back. <laughs> now, <laughs> if you had been watching the animated shows, you would have been like, "Oh, the new Trek shows definitely remember the holograms because there is an entire character in Star Trek Prodigy that is a hologram uh, character." Again, d- d- just echoing what uh, what Voyager did. But um, my beef is, is uh, you guys are what I love about the show, but also a kind of is driving me nuts about your guys's plan is what I love <laughs> is that you're you're bouncing around and you're doing the pilot episodes, right? One episode each, in each different era, in each different show of Star Trek. As someone who has tried to figure out the best way to introduce Star Trek to people, the best viewing order, the best, you know what I mean? Like, I have thought about this a lot, and I've pondered, I wonder if just like bouncing around to each show would be a good plan for new viewers, for people who never got into it, so they could kind of see what they vibe with. Um, And I think it especially works with the Episodic nature of classic track and next gen and the shows in the 90s and even Enterprise, I think. The thing is, is that the new stuff from 2017 to now is so serialized that I'm like almost pulling my hair out. I'm like, I wonder how it's gonna be for you guys when you do the first episode of Discovery and then do a bunch of other stuff and then get back to the early part of Discovery. You know what I mean? Like, and I also just want to say I totally get that you guys were like we have so much stuff to do we're going to focus on the live action series but I think that not covering especially Lower Decks and Prodigy as new Star Trek shows with their own complete seasons or whatever to cover those pilots which I think are very strong is kind of dismissive it's a, it was a bit of a bummer it's you know animation is not the most important thing in Star Trek's history but Star Trek had an animated iteration even before star wars had one movie in theaters you know animation is a is an important part of star trek history and now more than ever i think that prodigy is doing some stuff that brian you said and i'm calling you out brother you were like prodigy is very much kind of an an echo of voyager and lower decks is doing this comedic thing where like you kind of have to know next gen to watch lower decks you're not wrong but i think lower decks is also its own Accessible thing. I think you could watch. Am I saying all of this? And you guys have already I seen am, the animated shows. Am, Is that what's funny? Is already, that why you're laughing? I am dying
2: because I have nothing to do with like what shows we watch and what order we're doing. I am Kristen, just along You're for the cool, ride. listen,
1: Kristen. You and I are cool. We're yeah. tight. We're gonna hang out. It's totally awesome. But now I have beef, even more beef with Brian. Brian, what the heck, bro? Well, I've I cannot watched-
2: believe he outstar star Trek nerded you. I can't <laughs> believe it.
0: I definitely thought about if people were to go and watch Star Trek, where would they start? That was mm-hmm. certainly b- baked into the concept of this to some degree. Um, mm-hmm. But I'll just throw out right away. If anyone's interested in watching the original series, uh, in 1991, for the 25th anniversary, a syndicated strip uh, hosted by Shatner and Nimoy did the Viewer's Choice Top 10 Star Trek episodes. And that was my gateway into Star Trek. Wonderful. Star Trek fans from the 60s and 70s were basically calling in, and they picked the 10 best episodes that they thought at the time. That doesn't mean that those are the only good 10 episodes, but they were the 10 best. And uh, I think that list holds up pretty well. So you can find on Memory Alpha. Just type in Viewer's Choice Marathon 91. Um, In terms of the serialized episodes, when we are done... With this strip, we're going to hit, we're going to do a couple of random ones to set up Picard season three. We've got like a, we're mm. going gonna to deal with Moriarty because Moriarty is somehow uh-huh. a character in Star Trek Picard yes. season three. Yes. But he's yep. got two next generation episodes. Lore is in there. So we're going to do some lore episodes. And then we're going to go on a run of just finishing off Strange New World season one. That's right. And then right. we're going to do Star Trek Picard season three. Uh, those are the, so we're gonna try to do some blocks for the serialized ones and keep it consistent. Like you said, with discovery, it starts to get tricky. So that's definitely yes. something I'm mindful of. And then to fold it back into the animated shows, it's what hmm. I said before: they're <laughs> they're born on the backs of these other things. So why not just first cover those other things? And maybe, maybe somewhere down the line, mm. we'll, we'll, we'll cover them, but at least yeah, let's, like,
2: maybe let's tackle the 800, yeah, the 800 hours of live action. that we
0: already have. And then we'll go into it. Stuff. You know, well, I think, I think not, Lower Decks is more enriching if you have seen most of the shows, which isn't wrong. to say that's not funny on its own. And sure. I mean, I did my job. I went and I watched the Deep Space Nine episode and I, and I enjoyed that they recreated it. <laughs> and also um, is it Tawny Newsome? Yes. She's she's from the bay, so I you know, I she's from Vacaville. <laughs> she's like right by my hometown. So like I'm in the bag. I'm like I'm on board um with Mariner. And if she ever wants to come on the show, we'll do a Deep <laughs> nine, it'll be great. But uh but you know, just in terms of like, like I said, eight hundred and eight live action episodes. Let's let's tackle you're not some wrong. Of those first. But That's listen, it. It.
1: it's 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 you're <laughs> totally right. And I liked what you you said because you're true. It's that it it enriches the experience of those animated shows. In particular more. But I think the same could be said, obviously, with Picard. I mean, you guys are going back and doing, you know, older classic episodes, Moriarty, so that Picard season three will kind of land better. And if there's somebody listening and they're like, I haven't really done Trek, but I'm going to follow along with this fun podcast, it's a great way to get somebody current and up to speed on Picard season three. But I say, hey, Prodigy is currently airing its first season. And maybe before season two or whatever, you guys could go and tackle that it's his own little serialized thing and the sort of same thing with lower decks i think they're i'm assuming season four is coming out next year because they've wrapped their third one this year and each season's 10 episodes and again just to go to bat for those stories they absolutely are are for star trek fans who know the stuff and it's why not go back and watch all that stuff first to then better appreciate the animated thing but um you know i just saw these all these pilots get in love you know, all the different eras of Star Trek get in love. And I was like – and also, to be fair, I do consider Star Trek the animated series of the 70s. I'm like, just attach that to the original series. That To me, that's not like a new show. It's like a continuation. You know what I mean? I see that Braden as like –
0: Roddenberry said as much yes. too. Yeah, so. I,
1: I see that as like their year four on their five-year mission. It can just be part of the thing, you know? And same with the movies. I'm glad you guys didn't try to introduce the movies as part of your like pilot – you know, uh, marathon that you're doing. Yeah, no, we that's don't have time for that. Don't have <laughs> time for that. But do not discount lower decks. It is a, a blast and a half, but it does have its own unique things that I think they can do that other Star Trek hasn't done. And I've seen people talk about Prodigy, which is the show for children. I might add, it's the it's the <laughs> one geared towards the kids on Nickelodeon. But moments in Star Trek Prodigy, fans have talked about them as like being the most Star Trekky thing since like. Uh, uh, an episode of Voyager or Deep Space Nine or Next Generation, you know? So they're doing beautiful, beautiful things. Don't count them out. They're great stuff. And this uh, is, that's all. I
0: imagined you standing on the transporter pad uh, <laughs> making this speech and I'm behind the transporter console and Scotty's pulling your arm saying, listen, have got to go. The ion storm's I'm- closing our portal to the other dimension. Yep. Now I'm going to say to you what Spock said. Captain Kirk, I shall consider it. <laughs>
1: <laughs> There's so much and I'm sure Kristen is like, "Dude, shut up. We don't have the time." Well, this is why oh, I, I appreciate this is passionate. why I
0: appreciate you. Yeah, this is why I appreciate you so much because you are always game for everything and you have such an open mind and you're just like, "I want to I want to see it. I want to experience it. I want to try it. I want to do it." That's why it's great. You're I like the perfect I... guest for this episode. <laughs> I do. But here's my I infinite am... diversity, Hector. Yeah. That's why we're asking. How would a different show How in a different universe do I'm, this? Yeah,
1: I'm the person who I'm like, get into Star Trek. Sure, I'll watch every episode of everything ever. That's the the insanity that I am. You're over here, Brian, like reasonably, just watch the best ten episodes. Um, yeah. Okay, so we're going back. Also, as someone who's
0: seen them all, I am saying, yeah. just, watch just, the best ten episodes. Yeah, okay. I know.
1: Start mm-hmm. there Chron- and then chronologically, work your way out. Yeah. chronologically, I think that Captain Dow from Star Trek Prodigy oh. would probably <laughs> find a way. To help Dodge in a way that um, w- without knowing exactly what was wrong with her, obviously because he's a kid, he's 17 years old, he doesn't know what the heck he's doing. But Hologram Janeway would have some really good um, in, uh, um, like advice. but I also think that uh, Gwen, who is another 17 year old on the show prodigy, as um, she's the communications officer officer, she's also trying to escape her father on the show who is voiced by the dude from um, uh, uh, um, Fringe. But that relationship would make Captain Dow really consider helping Dodge in a different way. For going back to the Lower Decks Mariner, she's not the captain. It would be Captain Freeman. She would probably be maybe as effective as Picard. She would just do it a little bit slower, I think. But she's also- And there'd be a
0: lot more yelling.
1: Very much yelling. The Lower Decks crew would mess it up, but also somehow help. I don't know. It'd be really funny.
0: I think Janeway would be an admiral, right? She'd probably be assigned Mm -hmm. with figuring out what Picard's doing or the security threat. And so she would basically be on the hunt for Dodge. And then she would very quickly discover, and because she's Janeway, she'd like get to Dodge very quickly and like figure out something else is going on. Like Starfleet's kind of being weird about this. Mm. And then she would just switch sides and she'd, she'd help.
1: I'm so fascinated by this era of Star Trek that I hope that they keep doing stuff beyond Picard season three that's still set in this timeline, you know, so they could bring back actors from the other shows if they wanted. I think that'd be great. I'm so fascinated. Everything you just said, I'm like, yeah, I'd watch the hell out of that. That sounds great.
0: (laughs) I mean, there's been rumblings about a Janeway style Picard show and, Mm and, I know uh, at the end of Voyager and in retrospect I'm like oh I like also really like Kate Mulgrew personally so mm-hmm. like I don't know her I just like her, like her, <laughs> personally as an actor. we're really yeah, like my very best friend best. Kate we're going to get a Mulgrew. beer with her at the happy hour
2: tomorrow um, yes. yeah I'll mention <laughs> uh, it possibly Kristen, her. Yeah, Kristen do you have a uh, um, uh, concept here <laughs> so i'm just gonna do what i think michael burnham from star trek discovery would be would do nice and that is maybe just do a hostile takeover of starfleet mm. and um, <laughs> steal all the tech that she thought she needed in like the most um unreserved possible way yeah that's <laughs> that makes the most sense
0: all right so then that that brings us to trek Mary or kill the pilot episode of star trek picard Patrick Stewart's triumphant return to the Captain Picard character. Uh, I'm going to kick this to Hector first.
1: I would trek the hell out of this episode. I would trek it. I don't think I'd marry it. I certainly wouldn't kill it. Um, It may be my favorite episode of season one, but I also really liked the finale. And I know that was kind of divisive, but I really liked where this season ended and um, I like other moments in season two, but uh yeah, I think this is pretty good. I would trek it. I'm so I'm, I'm very much intrigued by what this episode sets up. I think it's a really strong first episode for a season.
2: I would also trek it. I liked it and I want to see more. I'm giving this a, a faint
0: Trek, but a Trek as well. <laughs> I, and I base it on the fact that I think I've seen this episode four or five times. So even mm-hmm. after I watched it the first time, after all that excitement, I definitely rewatched it very soon after, and I've watched it in the interim since. So um, yeah, so Trek, we definitely recommend everyone checking, especially if you have any inkling about sticking around for Star Trek Picard season three. I'm sure it's set up so that you don't need to have watched the other seasons, but mm-hmm. I kind of think... Not for completionist sake, but it's worth going on the journey with Patrick Stewart and, and Captain Picard to see, or Admiral Picard, to see how this all winds up, I think. Hector, is there anything you want to plug? Heroes Reforged, YouTube, <laughs> uh, if you're looking for reactions of everything that come out, are you watching the Megan trailer and reacting to
1: that? Oh, my God. No, we skipped that one. I can't remember the last trailer we watched. I think it was... Um... Transformers or Indiana Jones or something or Super Mario, but um, Megan, I don't know how to feel about that one. I, I'm going to wait for that to come out, I guess, before I see before I go to the theater to see it, see what people say.
0: All right, and uh, so check that out. Subscribe to the channel, um, especially if you're into the, in the good geek stuff, uh, mainstream stuff that you can watch. You have. Know, reaction and uh, hector is gonna he's a, he's exactly the energy there as he is here i mean we got
1: we got pure hector it was great yeah was fantastic. yeah so yeah, that, we, that was uh, if you end up editing all that out of the episode no hard feelings oh yeah we're gonna we cut these down to a lean for sure, for 55 sure, for sure, for sure. yeah a lot of this is yeah gonna go. that's fine <laughs> but um i am honestly very excited because with my love of trek my my two buddies who we like watch shows the three of us they've never really seen star trek like you said at the beginning of this, and next year we're going to dive into it. And I'm the fool that has come up with the plan, the game plan here. They have no idea what we're going to do. And I'm going to try and do it chronologically. But if I give you guys a hundred guesses, I don't think you'll guess where we're actually going to literally start watching Star Trek. Are you
2: um, including the films?
1: Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
2: Okay. Okay. All right. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Subscribe
0: to the YouTube channel. You'll find that out. Uh follow us on social media, Trek Mary Kill. What's Trek Mary K pod and online we have a website, Trek dot com. And uh, thanks for listening. We'll be back again with an all new episode. And until then, TMK out. Bye.